Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to 1 Kings chapter 22, 1 Kings chapter 22. I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture tonight and then tie right into it. But I just want to give you the sort of the back story on this. I don't know how many of you were here the last time I preached on Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago, but here's what I said. I'm going to be scattering a series. I don't have like nine Sundays in a row, but hither and yon, Wednesday, Wednesday, Sunday, whatever. I'm going to be doing a series called Of Kings and Prophets. Now, this series is about the interaction between prophets of God, these prophetic spirits and the supernatural power in which they moved and men kings who have been put in positions of earthly authority and power and how they interacted. Sometimes kings listened, were advised by prophets, profited by their prophecies. Other times there was great conflict. And many of these are in the Old Testament. We will also go forward into the New Testament, even to John Baptist. On the first one of these, now in this series, let me say this. If you you don't hear all of them or you only hear one, each one will be a standalone message. It's not like you're going to walk into the middle of a movie. So every, every one of them is going to be standalone. So it'll be a series, but it's probably only going to be a series in my mind. But it is a series. Now, the first one of these, I talked about the prophet Elijah. Just, I just want to bring you up to speed. And Elijah, his major conflict was with a wicked king named Ahab. If you'll let me just give you a little brief Bible study history lesson before we get into the sermon. By the time we get to King Ahab, the nation of Israel has split in two nations. There's the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And the king there at this time is Jehoshaphat. And then the northern kingdom is called Israel. Judah's capital is at Jerusalem. Israel's capital is at Samaria. And the northern kingdom has drifted much more into sin and apostasy than the southern kingdom of Judah. Ahab is one of the, one of the most wicked kings in the history of Israel. Ahab, you remember, was married to Jezebel. And there was this conflict between King Ahab and Elijah the prophet, and Elijah prophesied that Ahab would be killed, and that, you remember, he stole a vineyard from a man named Naboth, and Naboth was killed, and Elijah prophesied where he was killed, the dogs will lick your blood. And furthermore, he said that the dogs would lick the blood of Jezebel. That did happen. We talked about that the last time I preached. But it did not all happen while Elijah was alive. Elijah didn't live to see the fulfillment of his of all that prophecy. But it did happen under the prophetic ministry of Elijah's associate pastor, Elisha. But tonight, we're going to deal with something that happened in between that. So here is something that happened to Ahab while he's still alive. We know what the end result is, but we're going to only deal with something that happened right in the middle of that story while Jehoshaphat 
is the king of Judah and Ahab is the king of Israel. So in the passage I'm going to read, every time I read the king of Israel, you think Ahab. Are we ready? 1 Kings chapter 22. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth Gilead is ours, and we sit still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. In other words, I'll put my army with yours and we'll attack them and get back this city that belongs to you. And Jehoshaphat, that's the king of Judah, the more righteous king, said unto the king of Israel, inquire, I pray thee at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together about 400 men and said unto them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I forbear? And they said, go up for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet here of the Lord besides these that we may inquire of him? Make a note of verse seven, circle it, underline something, make a mental note of it. We're coming back to it. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> Don't you love it when the Bible is clear? That's clear. Anybody, everybody understand? I hate him. Sounds like a junior high school girl. I just hate her. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Don't say you hate him. Don't, don't say that. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, hasten hither Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and the Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, Zedekiah is a common name in Hebrew. This is not the Zedekiah you read about later. This is a false prophet named Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenanana, made unto him horns of iron. And he said, thus shall the Lord with these, thou shalt push the Syrians until thou hast consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And then the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spoke unto him saying, behold now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we forbear? And Micaiah answered the king Ahab, go and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Now look at the next thing. And the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure you that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? In other words, Ahab realizes 
he's mocking him. He's saying, he's just saying the same thing. All the prophets, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So they call Micaiah before the king and he says, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And the king says, tell me the truth. Verse 17. And Micaiah said, I see all Israel scattered upon the hills, a sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil? And he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I, and he meaning, uh, he meaning Micaiah. And he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall? In other words, be killed at Ramoth Gilead. And one said on this manner and another said on that manner until finally there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith, how will you do that? And he said, I will go forth and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also go forth and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, remember him? He's the one that made these iron horns as a, as a prophetic act. But Zedekiah went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? In other words, let me slap you because the spirit of God comes out of me and not out of you. And the king of Israel said, and Micaiah said, verse 25, and Micaiah said, behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. Just make sure you understand. He says, you're going to see which one of us is prophesying in the spirit of truth when you are hiding in an inner chamber. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, the, king, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, my son, and say, thus said the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. Now look at Micaiah. He has just been ordered to prison on bread and water till the king comes back. All he probably has to say is, oh, your majesty, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> just a joke. Everything's going to be all right. And the king probably would have let him out. Look what this little guy says. And Micaiah said, if you return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And then he turned to the people and said, listen to me, O ye people, every one of you. In other words, if you live over this battle, I'm a false prophet. But if you're killed, all your 400 prophets are false prophets. There's no way to get a C on that test. That's A or F. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the next few moments that your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and of prophecy, will so witness with our spirits that we may get a heart of wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit. 
In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the strong son of God. Amen. In the 1880s, in the western part of the United States, a Paiute Indian named Gray Hair came up with an idea called a ghost dance, a new sort of indigenous American Indian celebrational dance of unity, and he called the people to a sort of cleansing. In the 1890s, that was picked up and spread further by another Paiute shaman, a medicine man, if you will, a holy man called Wavoka. But later, a Lakota Sioux named Kicking Bird, who was a friend of Sitting Bull's, said that he believed if they would put on special clothes and do the ghost dance and wear these ghost dance uniforms, that they would be impervious to the bullets of the American cavalry, that the bullets would bounce off of these holy clothes because they had done the ghost dance. And of course, that was not true. There is, there is in this world a contest of spirits. If you don't hear one other word I say for the rest of this sermon, will you hear this? There are competing voices one voice of the prophetic spirit of truth and one which is a spirit of, of a lying spirit. And they compete for your attention and devotion. This king wants somebody to tell him he'll win the battle. His 400 prophets know that they want him to say that. So they come to him and they have this fancy thing, this these iron horns, and they have this show, and they say, oh, you're going to win. You're going to win. Jehoshaphat, it's a fascinating verse, verse 7. He says, isn't there anybody else we can ask? It must be that Jehoshaphat discerned these guys are lightweights at the best and liars at the worst. So he, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, he actually insults 400 prophets of the northern kingdom. These 400 people of all in perfect agreement. And Jehoshaphat says, couldn't we ask somebody else? And the king of Israel, Ahab, this wicked guy, he says, all right, well, they're okay. We got this other guy. I hate this guy. I hate this guy. Now that is not a light verse. Why? When you want someone to confirm your direction in the wrong way, you hate somebody that will tell you the truth you don't want to hear. So Jehoshaphat demands that they bring the guy. And they bring the guy, one man, one of these kings hates the truth, one of these kings wants the truth. And out of 401 prophets, only one tells the truth. What does that mean? First of all, it speaks of the rarity of the truth. This, this is, if I could say one thing to all the young people that are here, lies are everywhere. Lies cover the ground like garbage. And somewhere in the midst of all that, there gleams one simple diamond, and it's the truth. But the diamond is the rare jewel. The garbage is everywhere. If you could only hear me say this, 
The rarity of truth is what makes it so precious. There are lies everywhere. Lies are a dime a dozen. Lies are a penny a hundred. But the truth, that rare sparkling diamond, that jewel of the truth, even when you don't want to hear it, even when you hate the one that says it, something inside of you says, that's the truth. I know it's the truth. I really hate to hear this. Because the rarity of that diamond gleams among the garbage. There was a man, a church I pastored, who came to me. I didn't really know him very well, but he came and told me that he had been involved in an affair with a woman. And he said, I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said, I believe the Lord has told me that he does not want me to be in an unhappy marriage. And I, I'm divorcing my wife and I'm going to marry this woman I've been sleeping with. And he said, I feel the, the affirmation of the Lord. I said, I'm going to tell you something. Do you want to hear it? He said, I do, Pastor. I, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I said, you are endangering your immortal soul. You have believed a lie. You are under deceit. What you are living with this woman, this woman you're sleeping with, it's not a love affair. It's adultery. And you are about to desert your wife and blame it on God. And God will not stand for it. You know what he said to me? He said, I can't believe you would talk to me that way. I just can't believe you would say that. He said, I talked to one of my very best friends. And he's, he's, he's a Christian man, a Bible-believing Christian man. And he told me, he confirmed that God does not want me to be unhappy. God wants me to be happy. I said, your friend's a false prophet. I said, God doesn't care whether you're happy. He wants you holy. There will always be a lot of folks that will tell you what you want to hear. Because they're going the same way you're going. The truth, that spirit of prophetic truth, will be cherished only by those who love the truth. True prophets will be known by the reputation of their word. Even Ahab, who hated this guy. I don't know what it is about that little verse that just amuses me so. He doesn't say I dislike. He says, I hate him. At least he's honest. I hate him. But he says he will tell me the truth. The true prophet is known by the fact that no matter where he is, to whom he speaks, whatever the situation, the circumstance, he is known by the fact that the word of truth will come forth out of him. And Micaiah, this little, little known prophet, is squeezed into a little crevice between great prophets like Elijah and Elisha, the only mention in the whole Bible of Micaiah. But he is known out of all the prophets of Israel, he is known, this guy is going to tell us the truth. This guy's going to tell us the truth. Now, it's a fascinating humor. They call him in. The guy says, look, now, when you get in before the king, 400 people have told him he's going to win the battle. Just go in there and tell him he's going to win the battle. Just come on, play along. And he says, I can't tell him anything but the truth. He comes in before the king, and Ahab says, all right, what's the story? And he says, oh, you're going to win. Where are you going to win? And Ahab says, okay. 
Tell me the truth. He said, you are going to die. You are going to die. Your, your army is going to be scattered all across the hills of Israel. People are going to flee. You are going to die. If, I, if you live over this battle, I'm a false prophet. You will, you will die. And then he says, he says, let me tell you how this happened. He says, I saw a vision of heaven. And I saw God sitting up on his throne. And he said, I want to somehow cause Ahab to go into battle so that at this certain place at Ramoth Gilead, so that he will be wounded and they'll drive him home in his chariot and that he will die back here in Samaria. And when they wash the blood out of his chariot, the blood will run into Naboth's vineyard and the dogs will lick it up. How can I get him to Ramoth Gilead to be wounded? And one of the angels says, I know how. Use the false prophets. They'll tell him anything he wants to hear. There's always going to be more people that will lie to you, deceive you, affirm you in every act of wickedness and every deception that you want. There'll be people that'll always go along. What you want is that guy. He said, oh, I dread this guy. He tells me the truth. The second thing, not only do we see the rarity of truth, we see the courage of truth. Look at this little guy. This Micaiah. We don't even know anything about him. He is standing between the kings of two different countries and 400 prophets. You know, you're going to stand alone like that and speak to two kings and 400 prophets and tell all 400 prophets you're under a lying spirit that's sent by God and one king you're going to die and the other king you ought not to be hooked up to this sucker? You're going to stand there and say that? You've you, you got to have some intestinal fortitude. You've got to be a man. You've got to be a man. And so this guy comes over and slaps him. Why would he slap him? Because the ancient Jewish symbol for blasphemy is a slap in the mouth. As later, you remember Jesus himself was slapped before the Sanhedrin. Also, Paul the apostle was slapped before the Sanhedrin. So Zedekiah, he comes over and slaps him in the mouth. And he says, well, now, where'd the Holy Spirit go? Where's the spirit of prophecy now? Was the spirit of prophecy in me when I slapped your blasphemous mouth? And Micaiah, Micaiah says, when you're hiding from the enemy in your closet, you'll know which one of us had the truth. So King Ahab, he has brought this guy to him, demanded that he tell him the truth. And now he says, because you told me the truth, I'm going to send you back to town and put you in prison on bread and water. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. You need to know the rarity of truth and seek for it. But if you're going to speak the truth, you better have the courage for it. If you think everybody wants to hear the truth from you, you're way wrong. There are a bunch of people who just want to, just want to hear what they want to hear. That's, there's a time to be gracious and nice. There's a time, you know, you don't have to be blunt with the truth. Your wife says, does this make me look fat? 
that's not a moment for prophecy. That's a, go not this way. This way leadeth to destruction. Your wife says that this make me look fat. That's what you said, baby. No matter what you wear, you look great. That's not a lying spirit. That's called keeping your marriage together. Your best friend comes to you and says, oh, I've written a poem. Don't you dread that moment? Am I the only one? I've written a poem. Would you read my, I, I, please. No, just read my poem and you look at Mmm. Look at there. What they want you to say, oh my God, the spirit of Walt Whitman is upon thee. But that's not, you know, that's not a moment for prophecy. That's a moment for grace. That's where you say, I, I know this poem came up from inside of you and is important to you, and thank you for letting me read it. I'll never forget it. But when there is a matter of truth on the line, when there is a matter of truth on the line, remember that the majority of people, you have to have this in your mind, the majority will not stand behind the truth. They will stand behind the lie. They may mock you. They may slap you. They may throw you in prison. They may put you on bread and water. That's when you have to decide whether or not you have courage enough to handle the truth. That's when you have to know whether you can even deal with being a voice of truth. Your relationship with the truth will depend on your level of personal courage. It takes courage to hear and receive and believe and obey the truth. It takes courage to hear and receive and believe and speak the truth. When those two things meet, that's where the miracle of truth occurs that the Bible promises us. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You have to hear the truth before you can know it and you won't hear it unless those who have the courage to do so will speak it. But when you hear it, if you will know the truth and know it to be truth, in other words, discern it as truth and find the grace and the courage to obey it, that's the, that's the synapse where those meet is where the one who has the courage to speak the truth and the one who has the courage to obey the truth to discern it, to know it, to hear it. Don't you know what I'm talking about? When you hear something you don't even want to hear. I wish, I wish every teenager in America was in this room tonight. When your mother says, not a good idea to go there. And you say, oh, mother, I'm, I've checked on it, mom. I've checked on it. You, you know you're lying. You are lying. Oh, I checked with my friends. I checked with good, good boys and girls. Mm. <laughs> And they said, everything will be fine there. And your mother says, I have a bad feeling about this. Something deep down inside of you says, she's right. You know she's right. This is going to end bad. 
when you have the truth, when you have the courage to say, you're right, mother, I hear that. I believe you. I receive you. And I have the humility to obey you. I'll tell you that man who came to me about divorcing his wife. I have to tell you something terrible. It's awful. He left his wife. It's 100% true. He left his wife, told her goodbye, deserted her, left her weeping with children to drive to his girlfriend's house and pick her up. And he was killed in a car crash on the way. Now, I, I don't know how to interpret things like that. I, I'm, the, I, I'm not saying God dropped a safe on that guy. I, I don't know how to interpret things like that. All I know is why would you put yourself in that kind of a situation where you can be exposed to that kind of a danger that could happen to anybody at any moment? Why would you want it to happen to you between leaving your wife and going to your mistress, having been told that it was the judgment of God on your life? Why would you run that risk? Why would you run that risk? Because he was determined to hear only what he wanted to hear. And that was Ahab. Now, the third thing is this. The first is the rarity of truth. The second is the courage of truth. And the third is the confirmation of truth. And here's the problem with the confirmation of truth. When the truth is confirmed, sometimes it's too late. What you want to do is get in ahead of that. If that man had only heard what I said, look, what if he had said, Pastor Ellen, you're right. What am I doing? What am I doing? I remember standing at the altar and saying, till death us depart. I, I, I've lost my mind. Help me. Pray with me. I want this woman out of my life. I, I want to go back to my wife. I, I, I got to take care of my babies. What's the world's the matter with me? Maybe that wreck never would have happened. Maybe he never would have been on that highway that night. Maybe he never would have been driving the way he was driving because he was angry at his wife and filled with lust to get to where he wanted to be. Maybe that, maybe none of that would have happened. Maybe none of it would have happened. But the, the prophecy of deception over his life was confirmed and now it's too late. That's the problem with the confirmation of truth. If you wait for the prophecy of evil to be confirmed, it's too late. But when the prophecy of good is confirmed, what a blessing it is. When God speaks to you a word of truth, if you will obey your parents, this is the great promise of God that it should be well with you and you will live long in the land. It's the first commandment with promise. And when that comes to you and is fulfilled, the, the spirit of prophecy is fulfilled. Now it's wonderful. You're in under it. You want to be in under a prophecy that will be fulfilled. I am. When I resigned from the United Methodist Church, launched out to do the work of evangelism, I, I had Job's friends that told me, you have flushed your career and your ministry right down the tubes. I, I, they, they were hard on me. So you're going to walk off into Africa. You're, you're a young man with three graduate degrees. You're an Emory graduate. You've got a PhD. You have a, a sterling future in this denomination and you're, you're flushing it all down the tubes for nothing. 
You're finished. It shook me. I was 28. I was not so arrogant as to think that I knew everything. I was shaken. And then I was one night at a hotel to hear Dr. Tommy Tyson preach. And I shared with Dr. Tommy Tyson the vision that God had given me. He's a wonderful man. He's gone to be in heaven now. He was a very eccentric old guy, really old. He's about the age I am now. And it hurts me when you laugh at me. He was very eccentric. He weighed about 400 pounds when he died. And he had a raspy voice. Never had a cigarette or a drop of liquor in his whole life. And he talked like he spent his whole life in a saloon. Put his hands on his stomach like this. I said, Dr. Tyson, every friend I've got is telling me this is the worst mistake. Dr. Tyson, I, I, on the one hand, I feel like I'm hearing from God. My wife and I are in perfect agreement on this. I'm 28. I, I, I want to do this. I feel like God is telling me to do it. But every friend I've got, nearly every friend I've got is telling me I'm, I'm crazy. I'm making a terrible mistake. What do you think? He put his hands on his big old tummy and he said, <laughs> He said, what does it matter? I said, what do you mean? He said, what does it matter what I think? He said, I think you're doing the right thing, but what does that matter? He said, I have only one question to ask you. Insofar as you are able to discern the truth of God in this matter, is God telling you to do this? I said, insofar as I can hear it, he is. He put his little fat hand up and he said, God is going to bless you in ways you've never dared to think of or imagine. He said, when I am gone from the scene, God will still be using you on platforms in places that you can never imagine. You want to get in under that prophecy? Let that prophecy be confirmed. Let that prophecy be confirmed. Why get sideways with the prophecy of death and destruction? I want to I wanna recognize the rare gem of truth. I want to get in courageous, right relationship with truth. To know it, discern it, receive it, and obey it. I want to have the courage to speak the truth. I love you. I, I love you as insofar as I'm able. I, I don't know everybody in the room, but I love you. But I just want to say this to you. Whatever God tells me to say to you, I'm, I'm going to say it. I, I'm going to say it. I love you. I, I, don't, I don't want people mad at me. Nobody likes that. On the other hand, I ain't running for nothing in Georgia. I want to be, I want to have the courage. I want to be known. I want that. I want the reputation of Micaiah, don't you? I want evil people to say, I hate that guy. I wish there were, I wish there were people under a lying and deceitful spirit all over the state of Georgia. I say, oh God, Rutland, I hate that. I hate that guy. That would just make me belly laugh. But I, I, I want them to say, all right, I'll tell you something. The guy's a jerk. But if you don't want to know the truth, don't ask him. That's, that's, 
Isn't that the reputation you want with man and with God? Sure it is. And it ends with this. Ahab says, when I come back, when I come back, I'll deal with you in prison. And Micaiah says, if you come back at all, I'm a false prophet. What does that mean? That means that the false prophets count on the fact that nobody will hold them accountable. A true prophet demands that you hold him accountable. He doesn't say, well, I'm, I, I think I'm pretty sure. Now, well, I'm not, I don't want to get out on a limb here. He says, if you come back at all alive, I'm a false prophet. That's out there. He's out on the edge because he is in right relationship with the spirit of truth. The spirit of prophecy is the spirit of truth. It's a rare gem. It's, it's a, a rare commodity in a world filled with lying and deceit. The rarity of the truth is what makes it a sparkling gem. There is the courage of the truth to know it and to speak it. And there is the confirmation of the truth. I want to get in right relationship with the truth, with the prophecy, so that when it is confirmed, it will be confirmed with blessing. I want to be able to say, that's just, that is just what they told me. I don't want somebody to stand over my grave and say, that's what I told him. It's just what I told him. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.